There are many amazing and beautiful memorials throughout the world. I've had the privilege of seeing some of them in our capital city of Washington, spreading out in front of our nation's capital itself, a memorial to righteous government, democratic, republican form of government. There's a large expanse going out from the, the capital called the Mall, and it's lined with exquisite memorials uh, to various founders and presidents and wars. Perhaps one of the most famous monuments in the world is the Taj Mahal in Agra, India. Its meaning is the crown of the palace, and it is a mausoleum uh, commissioned in 1632 uh, by the Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan to house the body of his favorite wife and later himself. His wife died during childbirth of her 14th child, a girl, and it took 22 years for him to construct the shrine and the mausoleum to his wife, and it's considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We think of the pyramids of Egypt, also tombs of the pharaohs, and one of them, the Great Pyramid of Giza, is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I've had the privilege of seeing them. They're just amazing in person as they are on television or on History Channel. They're amazing structures. But one of the greatest memorials of all time, and unlike these earthly ones that we've talked about and could consider, which all will one day melt with fervent heat, and God, when he destroys the earth, is the memorial set before us in our text. We've been studying the kind of faith that God honors. And we see here in verse 9 of our Lord's commendation of Mary of Bethany, where our Lord says, Verily I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial of her. And so we're doing that today, aren't we? This, what our Lord said is over and over again has been fulfilled, this continuing memorial. In verse 6, he declares, she hath wrought a good work on me. Literally, she has done a, a beautiful and a good thing, something praiseworthy and noble. Here's an act of faith that our Lord commends. He draws our attention to it for all of time and eternity and one the Holy Spirit has seen fit to record, so important, three of the Gospels record this, this act of Mary of Bethany. It's for us to learn from and to emulate as followers of Christ. The setting here is in the home of Simon the leper, where Jesus and his disciples are eating supper. And obviously, Simon has been cleansed. He's been healed, no doubt, by the Lord or they would not have been gathered there. We've already seen in the, the healing of the leper, the, the, the nine lepers, the one who returned, uh, the nine who did not, the one who did, that they were outcasts. They could not uh, be in communion with other people. So for the Lord and his disciples and a great crowd to be in Simon's house, he had been healed, we can rest assured, or he would not have been able to host people in his home. No one would have come for one thing. And as we've seen, lepers had to be separated from their family members as one of the horrors of that disease. And no doubt, he is one whom our Lord has healed. And in part, I think Simon has this feast in his home in thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for him. 
praising the Lord for all that he has done. According to John's account of this same story, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were also there. And it seems as if the sisters must be helping, acting as hostesses to help Simon pull off this meal. They've come to lend their help. Remember that Jesus is already, not long before this, raised Lazarus from the dead. So maybe it's a group of people praising the Lord and celebrating the miracles that have done Lazarus and then Simon here. At another occasion, we saw where Mary sat at Jesus' feet when they were in her home or Martha's house. The Holy Spirit says it was her house. And they, she remembers she rebukes the Lord for not making her sister come and help her with the, the, all the chores. And the Lord said, commended her, her faith. She has chosen that good part. One thing is needful, and she has chosen that. She knew enough when to worship and when to work and when to do what's the most important thing. And here, once again, our Lord commends Mary, uh, amazingly, a second time. Here for her discernment about his coming death and doing what she could while she has the opportunity. This is a beautiful, sacrificial, expensive act of worship. And when our Lord commends something and draws our attention to it, we should be careful to consider it and to see what's there for us, the lesson to learn, to carefully examine it and learn from it. I want us to divide the text like this. I want us, first of all, to see that worship acts, true worship acts. It seizes the opportunity there in verse 3. And then in verses 4 through 5, worship is a choice uh, to sacrifice. And then lastly, in verses 6 through 9, true worship is always rewarded. And so first of all, worship acts, we see there in verse uh, 3, where the Bible tells us that uh, there came a woman having an alabaster box or a vial. This uh, was a, a vial with a narrow opening at the end, almost like a droplet where you could just do a few drops at a time. But she breaks that vial and pours the whole amount on the Lord in ointment of spikenard, very precious or expensive. And she broke the vial and poured it out upon his head. This event took place days before the Passover. Some say on the Friday before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now we know that Mary was very close to the Lord. She's already been noted, as we've mentioned, for choosing that one thing that is needful and sat at his feet. She knew that this time was precious and she wanted to hear him to teach about himself and his word. This event is not to be confused with an event that we've looked at in Luke chapter 7 of the woman who was healed, was forgiven of great sin, of many sins, who came to a feast that was sponsored by Simon the Pharisee. A totally different situation, but similar in her response where she, no one washed Jesus' feet and she weeps and washes his feet with her tears and her hair, expressing her great love for him. Here Mary, though, discerns that her Lord is on his way to the cross to die for sin, something that, that many, quite frankly, of his disciples didn't fully understand. But Mary gets it. She's been listening to him. She's picked up on what he says, the hints, and, the, and also the direct statements, I must go to Jerusalem where I will suffer many things at the hands of the priests and die. And Mary knows that this must be at hand 
that Passover is soon. And perhaps she reasoned that the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, that would be the time where this event would took place. She knew that, that time was fleeting and that time was of the essence. And she would not have this opportunity again. Oh, that we would be so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to the numbers of our days that the Bible said, teaches. It has so much to say about uh, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, not to worry about. Most people are, are very concerned and worried about and planning about things way off from now. And while it is good to plan and to, to have a, a plan, but to, for that to rob us of this hour, this moment that we've gathered to worship the Lord and hear his word. Oh, to have the balance and the discernment to see what the Lord is doing. And to live each day as if this were our last opportunity. What if this was the last Lord's Day that you're able to gather with us? To think about this privilege and, and living for him and what we could give him. We see that true worship seizes the opportunity. It acts. It does something. It responds to what it knows. Now, please don't confuse with busybodiness or ritual or something with worship. People can go through the dry motions. You may have done that to here today without entering into the thought of the heart and the mind and contemplating the words. And even now, your mind may be a million miles away. So doing stuff, opening psalm books, even coming to meetings is not necessarily worship. But on the other hand, true worship always acts. If it's within the heart or mind, it thinks, it ponders, it discerns, it prays, it plans, and it determines to act upon what we learn from the Word of God. This is all a part of worship. She pours out her love even as she pours out the perfume. It's a tangible action. She didn't ask permission of the host. And granted, it is an unusual thing that she does. The Bible says she poured it out on his head here, and the other records tells us on his feet. So it was as they anointed the Old Testament priest. Remember, the Bible says how great it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that, that flowed down Aaron's beard. The anointing of the priest, the, the holy anointing oil, would flow down over him. And she acts upon what she knows. She knows those Old Testament teachings, and she wants to express her heart, and she has decided to do this very unusual thing. Mary acts. And worship, while it involves the heart and the mind to love and to think and to ponder, you don't check your brain when you come to church. You're a Berean Christian who searches the scriptures to see what whoever's preaching is so. You analyze, you compare scripture with scripture. You use your mind. It is part of your soul. It is what God has given to us. And it's how we're created in his image to think and discern, critique and to create and this is what Mary does. I hope you've engaged in that today, that you've thought about the words that you've heard in the scripture and the praying and the songs that we've sung, and that you'll take them and ponder them in your heart throughout the day and the week. But true worship reveals itself to some degree in active service, uh, visible behavior. 
it largely includes obedience and determined choices. Mary freely, of her own volition, lovingly, and shall we say lavishly, expresses her love to her Lord. There's much more we could say here, but we see that worship, true worship, seizes the opportunity at hand and uh, does and acts upon what it knows and it performs in action. But secondly, we see that worship is a real sacrifice. Look there in verse 4. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. So they were thinking this and perhaps murmuring to one another. Why was this waste? Why would this woman, what idiot would waste? We can hear them, can't we? Would waste such a lavish thing. For it might have been sold. There are always those who think of the poor. And what something could have been done with that that was done here. And our Lord rebukes this kind of reasoning. It might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor and they murmured against her. They were talking about what she did. A typical alabaster vial was carved from any variety of marbles, fine marbles from Egypt. It had a long neck, as I've described, with the body of it. It may have been about so high, several inches high, but a long tapered narrow neck where it could be turned up not like not unlike an oil can or something where drops it was used so sparingly it was very expensive and those the drops of the ointment would be able to be dispersed but mary here breaks the vial and it gets right down to the the mouth the neck of it where it will pour out and she pours the whole amount all over the lord the perfume was only used on special occasions uh, it was used at a woman's wedding perhaps at the birth of her children and often in preparing a loved one's body for burial. The spikenard was very, uh, had a strong odor, and, uh, but it was used in the preparation of a corpse for burial. They would wrap, uh, anoint the strips of linen as they would wrap it to disguise and mask the beginning of the, the, the decaying of the body. In verse 3, we read that the perfume was very precious, and that word, of course, means expensive, and meaning it was uh, costly. Instead of shaking out a few drops, as most people would do, just to dab here, as you would perfume in a very sparing way, the, the, as the custom was, it was, had a very pungent odor. She lavishes every bit of it upon the Lord. It's a very visible scene. Immediately, the complaints are expressed. Where two or three are gathered, there are two or three thousand opinions, aren't there, of what, what should be done or could have been done. And some were mad about it, getting mad at church, getting mad with the Lord is there. Isn't that, isn't that the farthest thing that should be from our minds? Why was this waste of the ointment made, said Judas the treasurer, who was about to go out and hire himself to be a betrayer? Oh, what a, what a waste! Think of what could be done for the poor. Why, it could have been sold for 300 pence. Was That amount of money was a Roman soldier's yearly salary or a common worker's salary. And so I looked up online what a common soldier's salary today, anywhere from $20,000 and upwards. So we can imagine, if in, in comparison, what a lavish 
offering this was, by any calculation, it was a lot of money, and it surprised everyone there. Her deed was seen by the unenlightened as rash, showy, undisciplined, and above all, they considered her offering wasteful, the farthest thing from her mind. Let me say here, as plainly as I know how to say it, and you put it where you keep your important messages, wherever that may be, nothing sacrificed to the Lord is waste. It is an investment. It is, as he says here, a lasting memorial. You remember in 2 Samuel 24 when King David sinned in calling for a census. The census was to only be called by the Lord himself. But David, as a political move, decided to count the men who were able to go to war to prove that he was in charge, that he was, still had it. And for one thing, the census was never to be called without each man counted paying the temple tax. Uh, They were taxed when they did it, and and David didn't do that. The whole thing was just made up by David as a political ploy, and the Lord was very displeased with him. He hadn't asked for it. David didn't collect the tax that would go to the temple from counting those who are able to go to war. And the Lord, you remember, brought judgment. He allowed David to choose what his judgment would be. But after all of that, David decides to buy a piece of property from Aaroni and to the Jebusite to buy a threshing floor so that he could build an altar, a makeshift altar at the end of this judgment from the Lord and and in repentance to offer burnt offerings there to show his true repentance before the Lord. When Aaron and I realized it was King David, he said, oh, no, 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 you can have it. I wouldn't, you can, you're not going to buy this. I'll give it to you. You remember David's response in 2 Samuel 24, 24. No, but I will surely buy it from you at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing hold threshing floor and the oxen for 500 shekels of silver and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings I will not offer that to the Lord which doth cost me nothing it's amazing that when people spend money uh, even lavish amounts on themselves or their loved ones they rarely consider it a waste do they In fact, when someone does spend a a great outlay of money, the common reasoning runs along this line. Everyone under the sound of my voice, the pastor included, has said this. Well, I deserve this, right? I've worked so hard. This is not, others may think it's a waste, but I've always wanted this, or I'm special, or the person is special. We find a justification for it, and I'm not saying it's wrong to spend a lavish amount of money for something. That's not the point here. I'm just saying when it's done on ourselves or for someone we love or for something we want, it's not a waste, is it? We We could stand in a court of law and explain why we put that outlay of money 
You only go around once. You know, we're, we're not, money's meant to spend. We're not going to just stockpile it. We're not going to hoard. We're going to enjoy it. And, and all the reasonings, and, and you certainly are entitled to that. But the last one is right. We only go around once, which is all the more reason to use our time and our resources for the Lord and his work. Our Lord said that the simplest acts of worship and giving would be richly rewarded. Do you remember? He says in Mark 9, verse 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. He was speaking to his disciples as they were going out on preaching missions, and he said, Those who take care of you, who offer you food or water, whatever it is, they will be greatly rewarded because of it. Truly, this poured-out perfume was an expensive expression of worship and love and devotion was rarely seen it's an amazing thing and others were blessed because of her devotion jewel martin's beautiful poem that i often quote it's called a dinner of herbs but she has a line there have you ever read poetry and you wish i wait you said i wish i had written that or have you heard a song and you said i wish those words were mine she describes mary's act in this way She bowed low at the Savior's feet to feast on him of self-bereaved. She broke her alabaster box and perfumed the air for us to breathe. This act of worship, so lavish and amazing. Can you imagine as the aroma of the spikenard filled that room? Not just a few drops here or there, but just wafting through the room. They were blessed by it as well. Now, we live in a very sanitized day. But in a day where there were no screens and there were animals and dirt and heat all mixed in with the food and the leftovers and people's bodies and everything else, there were all kinds of pungent odors, I'm sure, in a place like that at a time like that. We're far removed from that today. But that was life as it was lived in that time. That perfumed air was a welcomed thing, I'm sure. Mary could have simply used olive oil, couldn't she? Or some common balm. And I'm afraid most of us probably would have said, well, I don't want to give up the spikenard, but I've got some, you know, I could put a few drops of mint in some olive oil. That'd smell good, too. You know, that, that's what Baptist reason. I'll, I'll, I'll go and get some of that, that stuff we've had in there for 40 years and, and bring it and, and do it. But she wanted, like King David, to give him the best and the most precious thing that she had. Let me ask us here this morning, do we give to the point of sacrifice in our worship? Whenever we give sacrificially, whether it's in our singing or our presence, are we all there? Are we all about it? Is it prompted by love? And when we do that, our Lord calls our act as he does here in verse 6. She has wrought a good work, a beautiful deed on me he alone is worthy isn't he we sang this morning may jesus christ be praised i have that calligraphied in my study and when i come and go i see that sign above the door to remind chris lamb that my life 
is to be a living doxology to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, may Jesus Christ be praised. Our acts of worship and giving and service will always be criticized by some people. I don't care what you do or where it is. There will always be Job's friends and the dear brothers and sisters to come and criticize what you do. You need to expect that. You young people who surrender to the Lord's service and people say, oh, you'll never have anything. They'll give you all the reasons. And it's church people who do it. Our deeds of worship, our acts of lavishness are always critiqued. And you should expect that and not let it bother you one bit. Do you think that Mary, after she did it, said, oh, wow, what was that about? I wish I hadn't gone that far. They don't get it, do they? They see through dimmed eyes, spiritual cataracts where everything is distorted. True worship looks into the future. And it looks back at the here and now. And it calculates, what do I have And how can it be used for the worship and the praise and the service of my Lord? And it does what it will be doing 10,000 years from now. May I remind us, gathered church, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Worship seizes the opportunity. Worship is a real sacrifice if it's real worship. And then lastly, I want us to see that true worship is richly rewarded. We see there in verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. I love that, don't you? Can you, can you see the looks on Judas' faces and the, the nickel counters when Jesus said, leave her alone? Folks, the Lord sees our hearts. He knows what we have to give and what we don't have to give. He knows what our motives are. He knows what we long to do and are doing. And our Lord says an interesting thing there in verse 7, that those who have relegated the gospel to just a social thing. May I remind us, and I wish I could remind those in Washington and everywhere else if they would listen to me, that there is no form of government where everyone will have everything they need and want. There's, the government can't do that. Our Lord says here, the poor you will always have with you. Outside of a theocracy, when King Jesus comes to rule and reign, there will always be needs. For one thing, there will always be people who cannot manage their money. I've taught economics here every year, and I used to tell our, my class that when, if we all were given, landed on a desert island, Let's say everyone in this room landed on a beautiful tropical desert island. In 100 years, even though we all arrived there with the same amount of nothing, there would be a hierarchy. There would be people who have figured out how to charge other people for what they do, for helping them build their huts and make them nicer. And there, in 100 years, there would be all kinds of people with different kinds of values, and there would be poor people there. And I'm not minimizing the need to help and all the, the, the uh, benevolence. But our Lord said it here. You will always have poor people. That is not an excuse 
forgiving and worshiping lavishly. She hath wrought a good work on me. You have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do good them, them good. You can give to them whenever you want to. But me, you have not always. Our Lord is showing them that time is of the essence here. His physical presence with them, they were very blessed to have had that. And it was soon to be ended. He would be uh, crucified and risen and would ascend to heaven in a short period of time. Verse 8, she has done what she could, which, by the way, is all the Lord asks any of us to do. We complicate this so horribly sometimes, and I think preachers are who complicate it the most. I have people all the time coming to me, say, Brother Land, what's my spiritual gift? And I always, my response is, how would I know? I don't know what your spiritual gift is. But I always give this advice, if you'll get busy doing what you know to do and like doing and it's what you're compelled to do, you'll pretty much, and you're doing it unto the Lord, you'll be exercising your spiritual gifts. It's always interesting to me how people want to specialize. Specialize in giving. Specialize in, in, in service. And, and you won't miss it. The Lord wants you to know his will far more than you do. The devil doesn't want you to know his will. So it's not that hard. She has done what she could. That's all the Lord expects. He doesn't expect you to do what you're not equipped to do and don't know how to do and don't have the opportunity to do. But we can do what we know to do, can't we? What we ought to do as we have the opportunity. The standard there in Galatians as we have the opportunity to let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. We let some of those things guide our actions and our deeds. We'll be obeying the Lord and pleasing Him. She has done what she could. She didn't go and say, why don't you, to Martha, why don't you give your alabaster box? I know you've got one too, as sisters might have done. She didn't, you know, pull the, you know, pay in the audience and say, what are y'all going to give? It was her and her Lord, and the hour was growing late. And she came there. I think she planned beforehand what she was going to do when she had the opportunity. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. I'd love to see Peter's face and John and the rest who should have known better but didn't. Jesus knew the hearts and the minds of her detractors. He reads our hearts and minds. He knew Mary's heart, as he does mine and yours, and he quickly defends her. I think of the apostles' writings in Romans 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, it doesn't matter who's against us. He that spared not his own son. Oh, what a lavish gift. The darling of heaven. He let Abraham spare his son, but he did not spare his own son. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies 
There's a proverb that says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. And I'm afraid that even worshipers sometimes allow that to guard them or guide them rather than the free lavishness that we see here of Mary. The fear of man. Oh, at the judgment seat of Christ, how many will have to answer as the Lord does his unveiling what they did or didn't do because they were afraid of what others would think or say. No matter what others say about our worship and our service, the most important thing is that we please the Lord. The fact that others misunderstand us and criticize us should not keep us from showing our love to Christ. What difference does it make? We'll stand before him and him alone. Our concern should be his approval alone. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of my kingdom. When Mary gave her best to the Lord, a memorial was established that is blessing and encouraging us today. I remember reading years ago a couple out west. They were the wealthiest people in the town. And uh, they always said they were going to do something great for the town. And so everybody was just wondering what that would be. And they thought surely that they would build a, you know, a youth center or a public swimming pool or something, the park, and they were just surmising what they would do. But upon the death of the, the wife, the husband had already died, he had had an artist, a sculptor, carve statues of them that were lifelike, and they were the, they were the, they were the size of lifelike people, of them when he was asking her to marry her on a, on a marble a seat he is bowing to him kneeling before and then this vignettes this elaborate tomb with heavy marble of them at different stages of their life when it was unveiled of course you can imagine the people that's that's it <laughs> a monument to you and he left the rest of his estate to care for it in perpetuity in perpetuity you, you know what i'm trying to say forever <laughs> And the tragic thing is, though, at some point the money ran out and the monument began to sink. And there they were, you know, like, you know, scary scenes trying to hold on without falling into the, the cesspool there. That's, that's waste, isn't it? But what Mary did was not a waste. She was a blessing to others at that meal by perfuming the air. Were it not for her here, we probably would never have heard of the village of Bethany. The account of her deed was a, a blessing to the early church, and it was recorded in three of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit wanted us to know about it. And Mary has been a blessing down through the ages to this very hour. What a memorial. What a memorial. It will never end. The pyramids will crumble the Washington Monument will one day melt. The Taj Mahal will be dust one day. As 1 John 2 verse 17 says, The world is passing away. And the lust, the desires thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What a promise. Someone has noted, just as she had done on an earlier occasion, Mary now had chosen that good part and was performing a beautiful, lavish, good deed to her Lord. She didn't ask, how much is this going to cost? 
or do I have the time, or what will my sister and brother think, or how will this be received? Obviously, she reasoned, my Lord is about to die. He's about to be taken from us. I will do what I can for him right now. And so he says, leave her alone. Why you trouble her? She has wrought a good work, a beautiful work on me. Some of you have heard the claims of Christ and his gospel, and yet you just put off. You act as if you're God and that you can decide to come to Christ whenever you want to, away with the thought. Today is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about your condition, you're standing before the Lord. Run to Jesus Christ. Pour your heart out to him. Receive him as Lord and Savior. Others are going to do something someday. And they get old and decrepit and unable to do something someday. And then someday is gone. Today is the day. Now is the time. The Lord has his way of taking his word and speaking to every heart. I have no idea what that will be, but we trust to him the working of his sovereign will. Gracious Lord, we praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your word. How quick, how alive, how sharp it is. Do surgery, Lord, on my heart and on all of our hearts. Show us Lord, and teach us to worship you truly as you told the woman at the well in spirit and in truth. And Lord, take these truths and teach them to every heart. We pray that you'd have your will in Jesus' name. Amen.